Our scripture this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Hear now the word of the Lord. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So is anybody here thinking about buying an electric vehicle? Anybody thinking about it? Yeah, I saw a little hand. It's okay. Like you're, you're on the market. I, I'm still one of those people who's waiting for the price to come down and the technology to get better. Like I don't know how long I'll be waiting, but if, you look at, if you're looking out on the market for an electric car, one of the things you have to look at is how far can you drive on a charge Right? How far can this electric car take you? And one of the things that people are, are holding people back is that some cars, you can, only, you can only go so far. And so the idea of taking a road trip is probably not in the cards for electric car owners. So you have to think about that. Although uh, the Tesla Model 3 that's coming out is gonna have the longest range so far, 310 mile range, which is the longest for electric car. The other one that's uh, come out recently is the, is the Chevy Bolt. Not that I'm advertising for Tesla or Chevy, but it's about 238 miles. And then everybody else is like around 100 miles or less for a range, you know, to get somewhere. And I thought about this idea, like how far do things take you in life? Like think about this, how far will our faith take us in life? How long will we be able to go with our faith compared to maybe some other things? I think about raising my girls. I'm actually getting ready to take a road trip across the country with my youngest daughter to take her to college in Kentucky. And uh, I think about this, you know, how, how far, you know, will we go as parents uh, to invest in our kids, right, to do things for our kids? And I think about that growing up. You know, I, what, are, what are some of the things we do as parents uh, to invest in our children? What, what do we expose them to? What do we invest in them even from an early age? Go ahead, you, you can reply. I'm asking. 
parents. What's that? Braces, yeah, we give them braces that last, you know, they, we want those beautiful teeth, you know, uh, for the rest of their life, right? That will la- hopefully last them, although I see adults in braces because the first time didn't work. What about like uh, sports? How many parents expose their children to sports, right? I did, I coached sports. Both my kids played sports in high school, up through high school, but I want you to notice something. Sports only took my kids through high school, Like all the time and energy we invested in exposing them to sports and me coaching and spending weekends waiting, praying that the the game would be lost so we could go home from the tournament. You know, please lose this game, (laughs) right? So I I remember those days and I think about, but I, I, I invest all this time and energy into exposing them to sports because I love sports. And then, but it really didn't last past high school. None of, none of my kids didn't get scholarships to go to college to play sports. Academics, yes, but sports, not so much. So that's one thing. What about even academics? Let's take academics. So so the the battery charge for sports over your lifetime is high school. What about uh, academics? Now you could say academics takes you through most of your life, right? Gives you a career, gives you a job, takes you so far, right? Well, how many people have a degree that you're not working in that field? Anybody have a degree that you're not working in that field? Wow. So academics only took you so far. And your abilities and your skills took you farther, but that degree only got you all that investment in academics and getting straight A's. Everybody got straight A's, right? Everybody got perfect SAT scores. All that effort got you through college. What about your faith? How far does faith take you? What's the range of faith? compared to sports or academics. And this is what I share with parents all the time. Faith is the one thing that if you invest in young people, it lasts them for their entire lifespan and beyond. And beyond. That the most vital investment that you and I can make in young people is their investment in their faith. That is the most important thing. It will go with them from birth to death and into eternal life. It is the most important thing we can give to, our, to, our, to the next generation, to young people, but also for us. It goes with us. Faith makes a difference in this life, not just the next life, but even in this life. And I would say to you, and I know I'm biased, I'm a pastor, life with God is better than a life without God. It proven time and time again that a life lived with God is going to be better than a life lived without God. Doesn't mean that life's gonna be perfect. Doesn't mean that life's not gonna have struggles. It doesn't mean that life's not gonna have problems. But when you face those problems, when you face those struggles, when you have the good days and the bad days, the valleys and the mountains, you will have faith in the midst of that. You will have a relationship with God in the midst of that that will carry you on, that will carry you through life The number one thing Jesus said, what was the number one commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because that is the most important thing of all things. But how much time do we invest in that? How much time compared to some other things that we invest in, right? Is, is there, am I investing enough time in that? And is it going to make a difference? Well, that's what Paul's actually saying to the Ephesians. He's saying, look, you have to move. You have to shift 
from walking, and remember, here's this word, walk. If, you were, if you've been with us this summer, we've been studying the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters are about the talk. The second three chapters are about the walk. And here again, he's saying, he said in the last chapter, walk in such a way, walk in a way that is worthy of your calling, your salvation. So walk this way. And he says, so don't, no longer walk in darkness as the Gentiles do, or the Greeks or the Romans. And so he's saying, don't walk in darkness, but walk with Christ. And actually, literal translation is learn Christ. Learn how to walk like Christ walked in this life. So that's part of the lifelong process too, learning to walk and follow Jesus. So he says, here's some things, how life will change or shift for you if you move from walking in darkness to walking with Christ. First thing that he says is you're gonna, when you're walking in darkness, you're aimless. Your life is aimless, it's purposeless, it has no direction. You're just going from one thing to the next, one desire to the next desire. And when you're walking with Christ, you begin to have a new attitude a new mindset, a new worldview, and you begin to look at things differently, and your mind is actually being renewed as you walk with Christ. You begin to have a different mindset altogether when you walk with Christ that is not aimless when you walk in darkness. And so I would say to you, and it's interesting because Paul even says that he actually, in a, in a world that, pri- in a culture that prided itself on intellectual integrity and intellectualism, of the day, he is saying to them, your intellect without God is actually ignorance. (laughs) Think about that. What Paul's arguing that intellect devoid of God is actually ignorance. I thought about that in today's world. (laughs) That a lot of times we pride ourselves on being intellectually uh, ahead of everybody else sometimes, and we think our intellect is what will carry us through life, but what Paul would say to us is you're actually, if you leave God out of your intellect, you're actually not that smart. Now, this, so a life with God it brings us about a better mind. The other thing he says, I think our hearts, he starts to describe the darkened heart. A heart that is walking in darkness is un, has these unrestrained desires at work within it. It is following these unrestrained desires rather than a desire for God, the desire to love God and to love others. So this desire for God is not, is not there. It's devoid of that. And so everything else becomes unrestrained desire. And in fact, Paul is actually talking here specifically uh, probably about sexual desire. He's talking about how, and in the Greek system, the Greek and the Romans, if you've ever been to Greece, anybody here been to Greece? Anybody spend some time in Greece? Just one of the things I noticed right away in the Greek culture was there still very, sex, sexuality is very open in the Greek culture. And that was probably true in Ephesus and in the temple system. And there were things going on. And so what he's saying is that when you're walking in darkness, you, you're actually, your desires become actually greedy, does that, does, he says greediness, he uses the term greediness, that basically what happens to a desire is it becomes more and more and more. You have to do more to achieve the same result. Does that make sense? That you have to keep upping the ante, so to speak. So take, for example, in our culture today, don't, again, I'm not advertising this. Take 50 shades of gray, right? Now, I, I want you to put this in perspective. So. I'm not even gonna ask for a confession about this. But you know, everybody's aware of Fifty Shades of Grey and the book series and everything. It's been very popular in our culture, right? I want you to, does anybody remember a TV show named I Love Lucy? Yeah, everybody remembers that, right? I Love Lucy, they couldn't even show the married couple in the same bed, right? Think about that. I want you to think about this. When I Love Lucy came out, 
uh, Ricky, oh Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. And Lucy, they had to picture them. When they showed them in the bedroom, they couldn't be in the bed together. I want you to think about that. That's where the culture was, sexually. Now we're at 50 shades of gray. How did we get there? Unrestrained desire. Needing more and more because what Hollywood has to do, what media has to do, what the world has to do is has to keep pushing the boundary to sensationalize it, to make it exceptional so that we'll pay attention to it. See how that works? So every, over year after year after year, decade after decade, what we kept doing was we kept culturally just pushing the boundary, pushing the boundary, pushing the boundary, pushing the boundary and keep pushing it out. Because why? What's driving that? Unrestrained desires greediness, needing more and more to, to get the same result. That's what happens. Now that's not the way that, of God. God says that you can, be set, you can have that desire and still be content <laughs> as you please God, and as you desire God. And God, God always, the biblical message is consistent. Put your desires within the boundaries of what is best and what God has given us. Put your desires within these boundaries that God has set. And he says, you will be just fine. You will be good. Your life will be better without, with boundaries in God than without boundaries. With a desire to please God and honor God than a life not doing that. Because there are some dark places you can go. Not just gray places, not just 50 shades of gray, but dark places that you can go. Now, the other thing he says is not only does it affect your mind, not only does it affect your heart and your desires, but it also affects your hands. You see, when you're, when you're walking in darkness, your, your purpose is to serve self. And you might even actually do some good things with your hands. You might actually be benefiting others with your hands, but even that service can be self-serving. I, I know that there are times when I, I might do something good basically just to make myself look good. Who am I serving when I do good? If I'm trying to make myself look good by doing something good, what, who am I serving? Self, right? When I walk in darkness, I can still do good, but I might be serving myself rather than true walking with Christ is serving others. So I go from walking in darkness, which is serving self, to walking with Christ, which will lead me to serve others. And again, folks, this is not a, a switch that you flip off or on. This is a process. This is an ongoing journey. This is an ongoing walk with Christ. But the point is, you, you and I have to be willing to take a step out of the darkness and start walking towards Christ and walking in the way of Christ. And it doesn't mean we always get it right, does it? Everybody perfect yet? Anybody got there yet? Right? Not me. Then Paul goes on and he says, this life is better, this life of walking with Christ is gonna be better, and keep in mind, and then he goes specifically into some behaviors for the Christian walk, for Christian living. And he says, here's some things about Christian living that he's speaking to the church. The first thing he says is honesty. Honesty. That we're to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. Now, I can't imagine how, I, I can't imagine, if you've ima been experienced, if somebody's lied to you or not been honest with you, what does that do to your relationship with that person? How does it, er doesn't it erode trust? And so what happens in the community when we lie to each other, when we're not truthful with each other, we actually begin to erode trust within the community 
or within relationships. And so it breaks that trust. And so Paul is saying, you know, start being truthful with one another, being honest with one another. I think the church, and I've said this before, the church should be the place where we can be the most honest. (laughs) Because we can come together because we're a people of grace, we're a people of forgiveness, we're a people of compassion. And so when someone comes to us with honesty or authenticity and says, hey, I messed up, I did wrong, I've been walking in darkness and I wanna walk with Christ, what do we as a community do? We should receive that. We should embrace them. We should encourage them. We should forgive them. We should offer them grace and encourage them in their walk with Christ. I, was, I wasn't always a pastor. Whenever I say that in a sermon, you know I'm talking about something difficult. And I was walking in darkness. I won't go into the details, specifics, that's for another sermon, but I would tell you this, that when I was walking in darkness, I recognized that the Holy Spirit came to me and, and convicted me and said, Matt, you're not walking with Christ, you're, not, you're walking in darkness and I want you to get out of the darkness and I want you to start walking with Christ. And I said, okay, well, how do I do that? So the first thing I thought to do was go confess to another Christian, to a Christ, someone I considered a Christian leader in the faith community. And so I went to this Christian leader and I confessed all that I've been go- going on in my life and they kind of looked at me, you know, they, you know, like, wow, whoa, you. And uh, they didn't know what to do with that. I thought, wow, you're a Christian leader and you don't know what to do with a confession. <laughs> you don't know what to do when someone comes to you and says, I'm, and, and is honest with you and says, I'm, I'm broken, I need help. <laughs> and you know what I received? Avoidance, shame. And I thought, well, I'm never doing that again, right? I'm never doing that again. Now, thank the Lord, I did do it again. But I found some places where I could go and receive the encouragement that I needed to move from darkness to to walking with Christ. And I found other companions on that journey that helped me and encouraged me. But I think too often we're afraid to be honest. And the reason that we're afraid to be honest is what I just shared with you is because we're afraid we'll be shamed, we'll be avoided. When in reality, the church community is the place that we hopefully will experience grace and embrace love, forgiveness, compassion. That even when we go past those bound, God-given boundaries, when we, when we mess up, when we go beyond where God has given us, that we can come back to Christ and we can say, I messed up. I can be authentic. I can be honest about who I am and receive grace. That's, this is a place of grace. You know, I've been talking with the, the discernment team's been meeting uh, through the, the beginning of the year, summer, we've talked to many of you about what God's leading us to do. One of the places we've landed as a discernment team is around this value of honesty, to live honestly. And what we were trying to convey is that we, we wanna be a place where people can be authentic, can be genuine, can walk with Christ and be encouraged to walk with Christ. And that starts with being honest about where we're at in our journey with Christ and being encouraged with that. And that I think as a church that oftentimes our role when someone comes to us and confesses to us as an authentic with us and says, I wanna follow Christ, our job is not to perfect them. <laughs> or fix them, but just help them take the next step out of darkness. 
What's the next step out of darkness and towards Christ? What's the next step for that person to move from that dark place to a place of following Christ? That's the faith community that I wanna be a part of and that I think we all wanna be a part of. So we have to live honestly. Now, Paul devotes a lot of time to another emotion, another heart issue called anger. It's all in this text, uh, if you've listened close enough. And one of the well-known verses out of this is, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I think about this part, you know, we've, some have said, well, that means you gotta resolve everything before the sun goes down. Well, that's hard to do when your fight happens at 11, 8, 11 p.m., you know. You got an hour, not gonna happen, right? So that's, it's not a literal thing, it's not a legalistic thing, but I have learned this. The older I get, the more sunsets go by. And the more sunsets that go by, the, the more opportunity, bitterness, and resentment has to seep in. Remember back in chapter three, it said well, we're supposed to grow our roots deep into the love of Jesus Christ, wide and long and, and deep into the, that we're to sink our roots in the love of Christ. Well, I will tell you this, one of the things that you and I can do if we let too many suns set is that we'll sink our roots into bitterness and anger and resentment. And it's kind of like we don't know what to do with it. And what Paul says, you have to let it go. In fact, he says later, forgive as what? As the Lord forgave you. How many times has God forgiven you? Once, twice, three times? I mean, have you counted? A lot. I lost count. We have a bell in the back of our church. Did you know that? I don't know if everybody knew that. Dominic, who was one of our students, used to come in every morning at nine o'clock. He graduated this year. So we're gonna, we're gonna hound freshmen this year when they come in September. And we say, who's gonna ring the bell? No, I'm kidding. But Dominic would ring the bell. And when you ring a bell, there's this big long rope and you have to hold on to it. And you just ring the bell and you make it and you get it swinging and it, and it starts to swing, and that's when it starts to make its noise. You know, I think about anger that way. You know how you just hold on to it, the rope? And then you see that person, mm, you start ringing the bell of anger. They remind you of that situation. They remind you of whatever it is, and you just start ringing the bell. All you can do is hold on to that rope and keep ringing that bell, that person, that's bitterness, that's resentment, right? And you're just ringing it and ringing it and ringing it, and then they go away or something else happens, you get distracted, you go on to something else, and, but you're still holding onto the rope even though you're not ringing the bell, and then all of a sudden they show up again and you start, oh, there's a, there it is again. Huh. Start ringing it, and that emotion starts to ring in you over and over again. That's because you haven't let go of the rope. You see, forgiving someone or letting go of anger is to let go of the rope, <laughs> to stop ringing the bell. It doesn't mean they were right. It doesn't mean that what they did to you was right. It doesn't mean that, that you're not, you're not opportunity. But I think we hold on to the rope because maybe sometimes we like ringing the bell. We might enjoy ringing the bell. But as Christians, we're actually supposed to let go of the rope. Here's the other thing about a bell. Even if you let go of the rope, what happens to the bell? What does, what does the bell do after you let go of the rope? Keeps ringing, <laughs> doesn't it? You ever say to yourself, oh, I can forgive, I just can't forget. <laughs> Even if you forgive, the remembrances, the remembrance, 
the vibrations are still echoing. But over time, what happens is it diminishes. It won't diminish, though, if you don't let go, (laughs) if you keep ringing it. And what Paul says is stop ringing the bell of anger. Don't let it mess you up. Don't let it mess up your relationships. Don't let it control you because what's happening when you're ringing the bell and hearing the sound of anger, you're missing some other sounds. You miss the sound of joy. You miss the sound of peace because you're so busy ringing that bell of anger that there are other bells of joy and peace that God wants to ring in your life that you'll never hear because you won't let go. Paul says, we're to let go. He goes on and he talks about stealing. He says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, I will tell you, the worst thing I've done since moving to Seattle, this is the, very, this is the worst thing I've done. And can I confess to you guys what I've done? I've been walking in darkness. The worst thing I did was I downloaded Nextdoor, that Nextdoor app That's like the worst thing I've done moving to Seattle because everything on that thing is about my car got broken into, my bike got stolen, my my house, there's there's some weird dude walking down my street in a white van and a moped, I don't know. And like I'm going, you know, and of course I'm spending, looking out my window like, where are they? Man, driving me crazy. I gotta get off that thing. But you know, and it's like, and then like, here's the other thing is like, I had this compassion for homeless people before I moved here. But now I read next door and they're like, it's the homeless people. They're the blame for everything. So then I see homeless people and I go, see, they're the problem. And I'm like, Matt, what are you, what's going on with you? What, 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 where, what happened to your compassion? I started reading next door. That's what happened to my compassion. I listen to all these people who are complaining and bitter and resentful and frustrated and and I get it because we're not to steal from one another. Whenever somebody steals from you, takes something from you, it it hurts you. It feels like a violation. But you know, they post, the other thing is, I I say this is totally not sermon, but I, I, I see the pictures that people post of the people stealing packages off their front door. They don't look homeless to me. The homeless get blamed for it, but the homeless people are not the ones stealing the packages. We're stealing the stuff. So I think about that. They look like me and you. Look, I could, you look just like you and me. They look like whatever, quote, normal, we, whatever normal is, right? So I'm thinking about this. What's going on inside of me? And, I, and what's going on with this stealing stuff? And we, it, it hurts community, though, when we take things from each other without permission, without asking, without something. But I thought about this like, now nobody here at church would ever steal anything, right? Or would you? You stay with me on this one. How many people have ever been to an REI garage sale? REI garage sale, nobody? Me, I've been to, all right, come on, confession time, get my brother. I I go to this REI garage sale, and where I went, they, they had a garage sale, and so this is all the equipment that people return and then they put it in the garage sale and you get like 70% off of that stuff. It's people that are like, oh, you know, I didn't like the color, so I return it. Or, you know, this didn't, you know, buckles broken on a backpack, so they return it and you can get the backpack for 70% off. So I, so I go into the garage sale and they let so many, you get a ticket and they let so many people in at a time. And, and so it's kind of like you go in there and here's what happens to me, right? I'm just going to say what I do. I don't, I don't know what you all do, but... You know, you're going through and you're looking for that item and then you see somebody touching the item that you want. 
Like, and it's the only one, and it's 70% off. And you're looking at it, and they're like, ooh, they're, they're looking at it. And so what do you do? You're like looking at something else. You're looking at jackets, you know, looking over your shoulder. I'm like a shoplifter, man. I'm like looking over my shoulder, like waiting for the guy to put it down. Then that guy puts it down, and I go over and like, oh, my precious, oh, you know. And, <laughs> and then I like pick that up, and I'm like, well, you know, this is, and then I look, ah, well, you know, it's got a defect. And I put it down, right? And then I walk away, and then somebody else starts looking. I'm like, no, 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 I was thinking about buying that. And, and when I go home, and if I get that item, notice how I'm behaving. <laughs> I'm behaving like a thief. I, I, I'm trying to act like I, I'm sneaking around to get that thing. And when I get it, and I buy it, and I go home to my wife, I say to my wife, I got this for what? A steal. I got it for nothing, or close to nothing, right? See, could it be that the same motions, the same desires, the same motives that are at work in a thief's life are at work in my life when I go to the REI garage sale? Think about it. And Paul says the antidote to that is not to go to REI garage sales, although I probably will go again, but the antidote is to do something useful with your hands. And what, it means, what he means by useful with your hands is serving others. Rick Reynolds, I saw him this morning, and he told me that there was a woman, her name uh, up at uh, Warm Beach Retirement Community, she turned 100, Maxine, she turned 100. And he said she's knit over 1,000 hats for homeless people in Seattle. 1,000 hats. She's knitted with her hands, and she's still knitting at 100 hats for the homeless. I think about that. that. Those are useful hands serving others. What a great example. That's the church. That's the faith community. That's what it means to be a Christian, not to be going out seeking, getting 70% off the, something that I don't need, but what is it useful that I can do with my hands that will serve other people that we steal no longer? And then the last thing Paul says here, behavior, that goes along with a lot of these things and goes along with community and goes along with anger is this, words. He says, think about your words. Let's read this together. This is our memory verse for this week, so let's all read this together. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Build up, build up. That's what I cue in on there. Harvard Business Review uh, did a, they came across a study. They compared 60 leadership teams and their success and failure rates. And what they studied within these teams was the amount of negative words versus positive words that were shared with each other in their teams. And so a negative word would be something like, I don't agree. It wasn't like a bad, you know, like you're calling somebody a name, but it was just simply as simple as, I don't agree with you. So if, that would have been a negative comment. Or I don't think we should consider that. Or I don't think that's a good idea. Those were negative comments. A positive ne a comment would be just the opposite. Obviously, that's a great idea. I think we should do that. Oh, I love that idea. I love what you're thinking. I, I think you're on the right track. So those are positive comments in the team. Here's what they found out. They discovered that the teams that were the weakest teams, that were the least successful 
in fulfilling their projects and getting their, getting their job done, that there were 0.36 positive comments for every negative comment. That means there were three times more negative comments in those teams, and so they were low-performing teams as a result of, as a part of that. I don't know if there's a result, but there's a ratio and there's a connection there, right? So notice that, that's the lowest on that bar graph. If you go to a moderately successful team, the ratio was almost two to one. It was 1.9 positive comments to every negative comment. So there's almost twice as many positive comments to other team members as for every negative comment. And then the most successful teams, notice this, 5.6 positive comments to every negative comment. And so that's almost six times more. So here's what I think we need to think about as Christians. You and I need six positive comments for every negative comment in our life. Think about that. How many negative comments do you hear in a given week? How, many, how much negativity do you see around you or a witness or experience around you? The church, the faith community, the Christian community is called to be that place that builds others up, that says six positive things in a world of negativity. And if you don't think we live in a negative world, uh, go on next door. Just go right on there. <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, try any social media account today and you will find it. And you and I need to be places as people who are building others up, who are investing in others and encouraging others because ultimately we believe what? That a life with Christ is a better than a life without Christ. And, to, and so we wanna encourage that in other people. We wanna encourage people in our words, in our actions, and to love others and to be gracious and compassionate and to what? Forgive one another as Christ forgave. Who? Me. Me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for loving us, for being a God who sent Jesus into the world, who loved us, poured out grace upon grace, gave us more grace than we could ever imagine or need. And God, you wanted to build us up. You wanted us to be the people of God. You wanted us to be who you created us to be in Jesus Christ. And Christ is the one who shows us the life, the way, the truth, and the life for this life and into the next. And so God, we thank you for the gift of Christ that makes our lives better. Not perfect, not without trouble or struggle, but better because he's with us and because we walk with him. And thank you, God, for sending your son and sending your Holy Spirit into our lives to nudge us, to encourage us, to renew us, to change our minds and to change our hearts and to change the actions of our hands that would be useful and purposeful. So thank you for these gifts that you give us and the gift of your son who gave his life for us, who laid it down on a cross because he loved us. And we pray, God, that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and upon these gifts of bread and cup that they may truly be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be the hands and the feet, the heart, the head of Christ as we leave this place today, that we will walk with you and with your son and with your spirit today. So pour out your spirit on us as we come to this table today, as we receive and remind, are reminded and renewed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we pray together that prayer that you've taught us to pray throughout the centuries, 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.